0: Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Excuse me. How's everybody doing? All right. We've been worshiping. We've been praising the Lord for His mercies. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you have one, or your device or your stone tablet, whatever you happen to have, if you would open it to the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 1, we're going to basically camp on verse 1. So if you'd open it to Romans 12.1. Now, this is obviously 12 chapters into the book of Romans. The book of Romans is probably the most uh, systematically doctrinal letter, uh, you know, letter that Paul wrote. He wrote to the people in Rome. I mean, they had some issues that you can kind of read between the lines and see were there, but but it was really very systematic, and uh, he spends 11 chapters kind of describing the realities of how we're justified, how we're declared righteous in Christ. He, he, he describes the, 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 the power of, of salvation. He, he, he spends time describing the fact that, that uh, there's now no condemnation, just as we sung about, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And he spends 11 chapters basically setting things up and describing the reality of rightness with God. And then he shifts gears. Beginning in chapter 12, he begins to exhort God's people. In light of all those things he's just described, in light of the reality, he now begins and shifts to morality. In light of the so, he shifts in chapter 12 to the so what? So if you'll read with me. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's pray about that. Lord, I ask now that as we dig into this one verse, That Your Holy Spirit would would open our hearts and and speak to us, Lord. I I pray that You would give us spiritual ears to hear what You're saying to us, not only collectively, but individually in our various circumstances. And then, Lord, You would give us pliable wills to respond to You. Speak to us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So in many ways Paul after describing 11 chapters of all kinds of elements of the reality of salvation and justification and he 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 moves to the answer to the question how in light of all this how how shall we then live And this verse is the beginning to the answer to that question, because then he spends another several chapters answering that question. But this verse is the beginning. It's the attitude about. It's the awareness of who we are in Christ, and, and then the recognition of that that leads to resolutions that will drive how we live. So let's break it down a bit. He begins by appealing to them... Therefore, which he's referring to those 11 chapters that he's just finished. He says, by the mercies of God. In English, that's those those five words. And in those five words, by the mercies of God are 11 chapters that he's just described. The mercies of God. He wants us to remember that before we we take any step in terms of of, of application and in terms of of answering the question, how will we live? He reminds the reader, he reminds the Romans, he reminds us the mercies of God. What does that mean? And at the very least, it means this, that that, that when it's all said and done, it all starts with him. It starts with his deep compassion. There's there's an author that I read sometimes, his name is Steve Brown, and um, he sometimes makes kind of his sayings that are, you know, when you first hear them, they're a little, they kind of provoke a little, like, huh? But then you think about it, and you realize, yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a, that, that's good. So one of the things he says is he says, you take the first step, God takes the next step, and by the time you take the third step, you'll realize it was God who took the first step. <laughs> And so Paul wants us to realize right here, he's saying, okay, I, I've got to, I'm going to exhort you, I'm going to appeal to you, but it's by the mercies of God, based on what I've just described in 11 chapters. Keep that in mind always as you move forward in this. And that's that God started. Romans 5 eight. Paul uh, kind of encapsulates a lot of what Paul is saying here. He says, but God shows his love for us. God started in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In another letter, Paul makes the point that, about the mercies of God, that by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And I could continue, as I mentioned. Paul says in, in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And it's important to keep that in mind because Paul is urging us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And if we don't keep his mercies in mind, if we don't keep the reality and the security of our righteousness that comes through what Jesus did, if we don't keep that in mind, we'll start thinking it's our sacrifice that somehow of ourselves that somehow earns that righteousness. And that's what Paul is saying. So he wants us to keep in mind, from the beginning, it's what Jesus did that is the foundation, the ground, the root of all that then comes afterwards. We're going to talk about this in a little more detail later, but, but you'll notice Paul begins by saying, I appeal to you. Some translations uh, translate that word for appeal, uh, I urge you. And the implication there is if someone urges you or appeals to you, they are expecting some kind of decision from you. Now, I know sometimes decision language amongst those who have drank deeply of Reformed theology, it makes them a little bit nervous, maybe thinking that, wait a minute, we don't want to overstate this decision thing. But Paul implies a decision here. Like, if I were to appeal to you to come visit me, you have to decide what? That you're going to come visit me. I mean, it's implied here. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. So what is the appeal? He says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Let's look at sacrifice for a minute. Let's let's take that concept. Let's unpack it. There's a lot of implications to the idea of sacrifice. One thing is this. A sacrifice no longer belongs to the one who offered it. Think about that. A sacrifice no longer belongs to the one who offered it. If you sacrifice, if you make a sacrifice, no matter what culture, if one makes a sacrifice, that that person making the sacrifice has given up any claim to that which they are sacrificing. And so, in light of the mercies of God, if you have put your faith in Christ because of His sacrifice, (laughs) you are now called, you are now urged to present yourself as a living sacrifice, to give up claim to yourself. You don't belong to yourself. Paul brings us out in 1 Corinthians 6.19-20 when he's describing the nature of of God's people, specifically in the the context of sexual uh, immorality, but, but, but it applies across the board in other areas of our lives. And he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. A sacrifice no longer belongs to the one who sacrifices it. It belongs to the one to whom it is sacrificed. And so if you're a believer in Christ, then your call is to say, okay, I give up claim to my life and it's yours, Lord. Lord. You don't live for yourself now. You don't live to pursue your best life now. Paul in 2 Corinthians makes this point where he says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Which, by the way, that implies that when, we're not, when we don't belong to Christ, that we do live for ourselves. But once you belong to Christ, your call is to no longer live for yourself, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So sacrifice no longer belongs to the one who offered it. If God is calling you, which he is, if you belong to Christ, to present yourself as a living sacrifice, then that means you give up claim to yourself. And a further implication of a sacrifice is a sacrifice is offered to please the one being sacrificed to. We just sang about that. So we sang about your his grace. And said, so We wanna, I wanna please you in all things, we 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 said. And that's what we're we're called to do. In fact, Paul brings us out again to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. He says, so whether we're at home or away, he's talking about his life, his relationship with the Lord, and on and, and, and the, the one hand, he wants to be with the Lord. On the other hand, he, he knows he needs to stick around. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That, that's, that's the call. If you're offering yourself, presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, then your desire should be to please God. Not just to kind of... Dr- you know, obey Him, like in kind of a raw, all right, I suppose so. No, it's, it's a desire to please God. There's nothing about a living sacrifice. Of course, I'm going to have to give you the obligatory preacher joke. You know, the, the problem with the living sacrifice is sacrifice keeps wanting to crawl off the altar. Okay, that, that's enough. Enough of a preacher joke right there. There it is. But it is true, isn't it? <laughs> But the idea of a living sacrifice, really, when you think about it, living sacrifice, that phrase is an oxymoron. Because, because a sacrifice, by definition, dies. Whether it's a burnt offering or it's a, it's a sacrificial lamb, whatever it is, no matter what culture, not even the Old Testament, but beyond that, in any culture, a sacrifice, by definition, dies. But yet, Paul is saying to the Romans, and by the Holy Spirit, he's saying, to us, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Which implies kind of an ongoing situation. It's not a one-off event. It's not just, okay, you know, back then in 1998, in you know, I presented my body as a living sacrifice, and that's good. No, a you know, living sacrifice means it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing situation. You're called as believers, we're called to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Now, he says, present your bodies. Now, some say, well, okay, so that means, you know, it's just what I do that God cares about. It's really not what I think. No, the idea between our bodies is, uh, regarding bodies, is pretty much everything that happens within and with your body, which means You. All that you are, all that you say, all that you do, everywhere you go. Kind of a parallel when Jesus gives the greatest commandment and affirms it as "Love the Lord God, with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul." Once again, it's all that we are. And our waking and our sleeping and our rising, our going and our doing and our being. But there's something else. He says, present. Present your bodies. The word itself, in, in, in the Greek at least, for the seminary nerds who may be interested in this, but, 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 but the word present, it's the same word that would be used in other contexts just as an offering. In fact, some translations say offer. They, they translate it as offer in English. But 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 the word itself though is, it's the way Paul uses that word in the construction. Landon could describe this much better. He's he's quite the Greek scholar. But uh, you know he won an award at Truett for being like the best Greek scholar. So, wow. So if you have any Greek questions, I he probably tell you a good Greek restaurant if you really want to know. So, so truly. By the way, thanks for your words. They were so encouraging, brother, now that I've just given them a hard time and used them as an illustration. So, <laughs> but, 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 but present is constructed here. Okay, so there's a number of different ways Paul could have said present yourself, there's a number of different ways he could have have written to encourage and exhort it, he could have used the word present in a certain way that would have meant kind of slightly different things. So for example, he could have used uh, the kind of the equivalent of, uh, he could have used present in a way that was constructed like like he does when he tells us, he tells the Ephesian believers and then ultimately us to be filled with the Spirit in in Ephesians 5.18. Familiar with that? Don't be drunk with wine for that's dissipation but be filled with the spirit right some of you maybe have heard this the way Paul wrote it is in such a way that it implies be being filled it's a present tense it's a it's an ongoing reality that is kind of a constant be being filled now he could have when he wrote present your bodies as living sacri- as a living sacrifice he could have written that in the same way you know be you know, constantly be presenting but that that's not the construction he used. The the, the construction he used implies more of a kind of a decisive moment. Not necessarily once and for all where the effects kind of continue on and on, but but more of just, whenever you hear this exhortation, make the decision to present. it's It's something you do at some point and at some points in time. Now, I don't know that Paul necessarily meant it in the way I'm going to describe it because his culture was very different. But I would argue that one of the implications, particularly in our culture, where we have so many choices and things, I think it applies. I would say that as believers, one of the things that's important for us, particularly to believers in, in, in our American culture, our Western culture, uh, where we have a number of choices, choices that are unheard of, not, not only most of the world now, but certainly most of the world throughout history. And, and we have transitions in our lives that maybe people don't didn't always have the opportunity. But I would say that This is something that we as believers are called to do, especially to consciously do every time we enter into a major transition in our lives or every time we go through a crisis. I've seen this in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of so many people that there's something about going through a transition that it's like we really need to reaffirm or remind ourselves, okay, I know what it was like to present myself as a living sacrifice in this situation, but now that things have changed, it looks a little different, and so I need to kind of reaffirm and remind myself, and I need to to reaffirm to the Lord, yes, I am a living sacrifice. So so in other words, for example, a major transition might be, you know, a, a new job. You're getting a new job. You 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 say, okay, Lord, in this new job, it's different than my old job, and so what is Lord? Lord, I, I present myself as a living sacrifice, or, or 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 a or a major kind of life shift. Maybe maybe you've graduated, and, and now you're moving. You know, graduating from high school and into college. Presenting yourself as as a living sacrifice or as a living sacrifice is is different in high school, really, than it is in college. I mean, at some level, yeah, it's still your, your attitude and desire to, to please the Lord in all respects and to, to recognize that you don't have claim for your own life. But yet, the specific decisions that that, that, that kind of, how it demonstrates itself is very different between high school and college. Or, or from, from college to, hopefully, the workforce without too much student debt, right? Then it's, it's, it's very much, uh, you have to make that decision. Or perhaps when you're, you know, you're, you're getting ready to go to NTC at, what, what is it, 0300 tomorrow morning? You, you take off, Preston? Yeah. So at that point, maybe maybe Preston needs to say, you know, Lord, I, what does it look like for me to present my body as a living sacrifice in the desert at Fort Irwin? I mean, what does that look like? Or what's it going to look like when I, we go from being a couple without children to having a baby? It's important. When when we face these changes, and even more, sometimes difficult, is when we go through a major crisis, a loss, someone we love passes away, or a dream that we had, a desire that we had, a a plan that we had fell through, a job that we were really hoping, or the job that we love, we lose it. In fact, I would say it's even more important at that moment to say, okay, Lord, I know I'm grieving this loss, but I am yours. I, I lay myself on the altar now. As painful as it is, I'm yours. It's a decision. And actually a decision, whenever you say yes to something, you're always having to say no to a whole bunch of other things, aren't you? And so it really, not only does it mean saying yes, Lord, I, I, I'm, a living, I'm a sacrifice, I'm a living sacrifice, I give up my claim to myself, I put myself on, on this kind of uh, cons- this, this altar in my heart and in my mind and it, it's yours, but it also means saying no. Earlier in, in the book of Romans, Paul uses the same word. He uses the word present. But he uses it in the negative. He he says, do not present your members or the parts of your body to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Kind of the flip side of saying, yes, Lord, I belong to you. I give up my claim to myself. Is also saying no to the the sin, the temptations, whether they be temptations to pride or immorality or just selfishness or unforgiveness or man's anger, which as we saw, James told us weeks ago, right? That doesn't fulfill the righteousness of God. And it means saying yes to his will and to to his priorities. You know, a lot of believers love to quote Psalm 37, 4, right? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Which if you look closely at it, you realize, okay, if my delight is in the Lord, then that means the desires of my heart are going to be in accordance with his will. It doesn't mean I'm going to delight myself, quote, unquote, in the Lord, and then I'm going to get whatever selfish desire I have, I have. But we oftentimes even stop there. If we continue, it, it really comes into to more focus. So Where say, It says, after Psalm 34, 7, 34, uh, 37, 5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Now there's another thing about this phrase, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's interesting, Paul does not say, present your bodies as living sacrifices. You'll notice that. It isn't like he says, you know, you are a sacrifice and you're, apologies to Oprah, and you're a sacrifice and you're a living sacrifice. He doesn't do that. He, 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 He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, wait a minute. What he's saying is that your your individual bodies are presented together with those of others in the body of Christ, in the church, the church as the temple, the church itself as the temple of God. We together make that living sacrifice. Yeah, there's individual decisions we make, but it's also a collective project. You know, I quoted from... 1 Corinthians 6 which a lot of people like to quote from and they like to emphasize the fact that you know your your individual body is a temple of the Holy Spirit grandmas used to love to do that to tell people in their, you know their tell their husbands don't smoke you know that kind of thing now yeah, your body is a temple but, but 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 he also he also in 1 Corinthians 3 emphasizes the collective nature of the church as a temple of the Holy Spirit he says, do you not know that you are God's temple? That you is, is y'all. It's, it's not, he's not writing it as you, know, you individually or your temple. In, 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 in 1 Corinthians 3.16, he's saying, don't you know that y'all, you body of believers, Christians collectively, church of God, you are a God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all. See, the church is the place where we encourage one another to live as living sacrifices. It's not just an individual situation. It's, it's, a, it's a collective enterprise. We are called to urge and encourage one another. Hebrews 3 13. Paul gives a warning and about sin and and he says you know exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin there's so many one another's in the scripture and although you know in this this room i mean there's you know, there's quite a few people here. It's, it's, I'm sure not everybody knows one another. In fact, I know that for a fact. But we're called as believers to, to exhort and to encourage one another, which implies we kind of know what's going on in each other's lives, which that, that, that reminds us of the importance of smaller groups, of community groups, for example. I'm going to make a plug for community groups. It's so important to be part of a group where you do life together. And I know that's become almost cliche. We're doing life together. No, it really is important as Christians. Because that's where we do what Paul is saying. We exhort one another every day. You can't just do it to to generally, to people you really don't know. But when there's a group of people who you walk alongside one another and you've, whether it's implicit or hopefully explicit, you've given yourselves permission to speak into one another's lives, that's how we help fulfill this calling to not just individually be a living sacrifice, but then to collectively be a living sacrifice. Let us consider, in Hebrews, the writer says a few chapters later in chapter 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then Paul finishes the verse and says, to be, present your bodies as a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your Spiritual worship. This is the basis. Presenting your body as a living sacrifice is the basis for a life and a lifestyle of worship. Everything else that Paul then begins to outline following this verse, practical actions, practical elements of relationships, all of those are predicated upon the idea that we have said to the Lord, yes, I belong to you, heart, soul, mind, I give up a claim to my own life. So, how about some application even in our own lives right now? Jonathan Edwards, some of you maybe have heard of him and read him, great American theologian. Um, also a philosopher. Some have considered him kind of the original American philosopher, pastor, chronicler of the First Great Awakening. As a teenager, he sat down and he wrote. He was pretty verbose. But, but, but he wrote down 70 resolutions to help him to grow in grace and to set the course for his life. As a teenager, he sat down and he wrote 70 resolutions, resolved, and then he would outline them. So I'm going to read all 70 right out. No, I'm not. I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We'll be a little late lunch today. No. So, but, but, but I'm going to borrow from him, um, kind of creatively borrow. So, so based on Paul's exhortation to present our bodies as living, as a living sacrifice, I'm going to take Edward's example and I'm going to suggest just for us you know, we're in the days of social media, so 70 would just be way too many. So just four, okay? I'm going to suggest four resolutions that will help us as we present our bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice, okay? So here's the first one. Resolved to treat each day its schedule and my activities As not my own, but belonging to the Lord. To treat each day, its schedule, and my activities as not my own, but as belonging to the Lord. Here's the second one. Resolved to make each life decision. Such as, where to live, what job to pursue, whether or whom to marry, what to major in, where to go to school, what to do to help aging parents, whether or when to retire. Based upon this question, what pleases the Lord? Resolved to make each life decision such as where to live, what job to pursue, whether or whom to marry, what to major in, where to go to school, what to do to help aging parents, whether or when to retire, based upon the question, what pleases the Lord? Three. Resolved to live within every relationship. Knowing that, before I belong to anybody, I belong heart, soul, mind, and strength to the Lord. Spouses, children, friends, they make good spouses sometimes, spouses, children, and friends, but they make terrible gods. And so you belong first and foremost, no matter what relationship you're in, you belong to God. And every relationship then is defined, as and understood in light of that relationship. To live within every relationship knowing that before I belong to anybody, I belong heart, soul, mind, and strength to the Lord. And then finally, resolved to live through any and every situation that is out of my control, knowing that I belong to the Lord, and that nothing that happens to me is outside of His control. Resolved to live through any and every situation that is out of my control, knowing that I belong to the Lord and that nothing that happens to me is outside of His control. So is it time for you? What's your crisis moment that you're at? What, what's your transition? What, what's your situation? Is it time to present your body to the Lord? To present yourself and say, yes, Lord. I, I, I have, I've been holding on to the claim to myself, to my own plans, to my own dreams, to my own designs for my life. I, I, I relinquish that. I lay myself on the altar is it time to entrust yourself to Him? I encourage you today. Now, now, some, you know, I, I want to revisit one one, one statement I, I made earlier. Make sure that you don't misunderstand this idea of being a sacrifice—that you're somehow earning God's salvation, you're earning your righteousness. No, no, no. This is for those who already know. That they have put their faith in Christ. That they have experienced those mercies of God. They, they have responded to His grace. Displayed and executed, if you will, on the cross. And so, I would encourage you, if you've never put your faith in Christ, that's, that's what you must do. Because otherwise, you can't, even, you can't be a living Sacrifice. Because you've not yet embraced the sacrifice that Christ has made for you. And so I encourage you today, if you've not, please, put your faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for these mercies that we sang about. These mercies that we hopefully never take for granted. Lord, let us not take them for granted, but then, Lord, at the same time, I pray for each of us here as we are facing various situations, difficulties and hardships and crises and decisions where we're really not quite sure what direction to go. I pray that first and foremost, before we make any kind of decision, before we, that we basically say, all right, Lord, first and foremost no matter what the outcome i yield myself to who you are to who you i am i present myself to you use me do with me as you do with any sacrifice unto you and that is according to your pleasure help us lord help us lord We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen.